Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministries and Biblical Studies. Good to have you this morning. And as you can tell, Pastor Alex has changed a little bit, probably because it's not Pastor Alex. <laughs> Pastor Alex is out today. Pastor Thomas Derrick of Raven Gulf Coast, he's here with us for a few days, is going to be sitting in here in the in the riding shotgun, I guess, on the Word of God this morning. Yeah. It's so good to have you, Pastor Thomas. And have you been having a good time here in Daytona Beach area, brother? Well, I've been having a great time. A great time. Good deal. He told me the thing. He said, I'm ready to eat. I thought that brother was wanting me to cook up some bacon and eggs. And he said, no, it's time to get in the Word of God and, and eat at that supper table of Jesus Christ. Guys, good to be here. If you're joining us for the very first time or you're listening through an MP3 format or a, somebody's recording this for you, you can actually go back, brother. We make these available at our website through www.raveninstitute.blogspot.com. Our brother Steve Ignowski is with us every single morning, and he's recording those in MP3 format. You can download them to your iPod, podcast, however you want to do it. It's there for you. Those things are made available. There's no copyright. Free of charge. Freely we have received and freely we give. So we just want to make that out there. And we've said a couple of times that you can buy a CD-ROM blank one for 15 cents. And so you can get, what, six of them for a dollar. And, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll go and I'll get me a, a coffee from one of these coffee places, and I'll pay two or three dollars for a cup of coffee. Take, the, take just a dollar, just that price of, of just a half a cup of coffee, so to speak, at a, a, a premium coffee place, and burn six of those a day. Don't take you very long. And give those things out. Or if you're listening to this and you have the ability to burn one, email me at raven at biggrace.com, and I'll burn you one and send it to you absolutely free of charge uh, uh, just to further request I'll make those available to you as well so we want to get this teaching out there and allow people to, to, to really kind of get an appetite for studying after the word and seeking his face I know it does a tremendous thing in, in our lives individually and corporately as the body of Christ Pastor Thomas why don't you open us in prayer this morning and we'll get underway Amen Hallelujah Jesus Precious Heavenly Father Lord God we just thank you for this morning Lord God and just another day, Lord God, of rejoicing in your presence, Lord God. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God, that gives life, Lord God, to all men, Lord God. So, Father, this morning I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you open up our hearts, Lord God, to receive, Lord God, what you have in store for us this morning. And, Father, I just pray, Lord God, in Jesus' mighty name, Lord God, that we'll grab a hold, Lord God, of your word, your word of life, Lord God, and run, Lord God, in this hour, Lord God. And Father, we just thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name, bless this time, Lord God, of studying. Let your name be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. You know, brother, I thought about a time or two as we've been teaching this. I think we're on lesson 29. I think we've done 29 hours of teaching on the book of Romans. And we're estimating about 160 hours of teaching by the time we get through all 16 chapters. But you know what it does? You know, he sent his word to heal us. Yeah. And what you'll find too, folks, I, I think that, it, that as you get into the word of God, you know, we, we use, this is kind of our program's uh, motto, get into the word, the word will get into you. And if indeed the word is getting into you, there ought to be a change or transformation. Yeah. And so, for instance, if, you, if you're on some type of vitamin regimen and you get up every morning and you take your vitamins, you're expecting certain nutritional value to come into your body. Right. And you're expecting certain results to come consequentially to receiving those things. If someone has elevated blood pressure and they take blood pressure medicine, what are they expecting that, blood pre- that medicine to do? 
to affect their blood pressure to cause something. And so, folks, you've really we've got to get into when we get into God's word, we've got to come with an expectancy. And so, when I open up the Word of God as as a general rule, I'm expecting expecting Him to speak something to me. I'm expecting God to, to reveal Himself to me, to show me Christ Jesus, to challenge me on a personal level, to expose something in me that may uh, be deadly to me or detrimental to my walk with Christ. And so we've got to come to that, that table of the Word of God with the expectancy of taking those things up. And we had, our families had dinner together yesterday evening. Right. And so we went and we, we pulled up to a buffet. Uh, or they say in, in South Louisiana, a buffet. And so we went to a buffet and we, we took things in. We, and we were expecting to be filled. We were expecting to have our hunger satisfied. Right. Folks, listen, God has spread the ultimate table for us in the Word of God. He has given us the bread of life. He has given us the water of the Word. He has given us the milk and the meat and everything in between. I mean, we, you talk about a full course meal. And we went to a pretty nice buffet yesterday, brother. But I tell you what, in these 66 books of Scripture that we call the Bible, right. for every question that you have, there's an answer. For every obstacle that you overcome, there's a solution. And so God has given us, so I encourage you as you get into the Word of God to, 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 to have that expectancy on the things of God that are produced. And it ought to heal, it ought to restore, it ought to encourage, it, it ought to create boldness, it ought to bring you to a place of holiness and righteousness, it ought to challenge you on every level. And folks, if it's, if it's not doing that to you, you need to begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you all the truth into all truth. Because there's a lot of people that know about the Word that don't know the Word. Right. And that's the key is knowing the Word. And because Jesus is the Word of God. Yes, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And He came and He dwelt among us as that living Word. So I just want to say that as a word of encouragement for really an expectancy when we begin to get into the Word of God. Okay, folks, we are uh, right in the middle. Once again, if you're just checking in with us, we're doing an expository teaching on the book of Romans. And if you've missed out on the first uh, 28 or 29... Pastor Thomas is somewhere else, but he'll get to catch up real quick. If, you're, uh, if, if you've missed out on those, you can go and download those, and I'd encourage you to do that because it would be well worth the investment of your time. But we are on the, the, the third chapter, and we have been focusing on the 25th verse for the last uh, two days, and we're going to be right there again. Folks, there's so much that he has for us, and I believe that, that you not only need to know the Word that, or know what you believe, but you know, need to know why you believe it. I think why why there's people begin to get ensnared with false doctrine because they really don't know the word that they've been taught to kind of brush over it and you can kind of recite something or or repeat something and and half the time people think that certain things are Bible that are really not Bible. I'll give you an example. My nephew, who's the director of Raven uh, Southwest, uh, lived a life of drinking and drugs and violence and things before he came to Jesus. Now he's preaching the gospel. But during that lifetime, during that when he was living that lifestyle, he had got some type of tattoo of some type of worldly saying on his arm. It's nothing like profanity, but it's just like one of the it's like something you'd get out of a fortune cookie or something. And it was on his, his bicep. And we were seated we were doing an outreach in, in with Raven East Coast and he had his arm out like this and a man read it and that when we were sitting there at a table he said, Yeah, that's one of my favorite scriptures. And the guy walks off, and, and my nephew said, "Yeah, that's real good, but that's not even that's not even a scripture." It, but the man was sincere. He read that, and because it had some type of flowery language or whatever else, he assumed that it was scripture. You know, it's almost like a well, yeah, my, the Lord's Prayer. 
Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, it's something like that. So folks, it's really imperative that we get into the Word of God, that we know the Word of God. You were in Ephesians just a second ago. Yes. It warns us, it says that He's given some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the ministry. Right. Then it goes on to say that, that they're thoroughly equipped, that they're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine and the slight and the cunning craftiness of men. And so folks, listen, you're in this for, for twofold, to build you up and to keep you safe and to give you instructions in the ways of righteousness so that you'll know. And like I've said many times, and I'll say it again, it's worth repeating, that this isn't the end-all, wear-all. This is to get you ignited and get you hungry for the Word of God. Amen. That way, when, when our live program ends, that you'll pick up that Word and you'll just continue to feast upon that and God will give you revelation that maybe we'll say something in our program and it'll prompt something else that that, that, that this we just touched on, but God has just given you a greater raiment or revelation on those type of things. Guys, that's what it's for. So I encourage you to get into that word and know that word. That's why we are taking such a tedious and uh, methodic approach to the Scripture. Because we, I want people to know, I want people to, to be able to get what I get out of it. Yeah. And I believe that when I go to the table, man, I'm telling you what, I want to get, it's kind of like, what is it, Maxwell House, good to the last drop. I want every bit of what he has to offer me in his word. And so we want to take the time and to invest in you. Is it tedious? Is it a lot of work? Is it, yeah, but study to show yourself approved unto God. Yeah. And so we've got to be workmen. And so we want to go about this in a workmanlike fashion to, to, to not just glaze over this as some Bible study, but folks, this is an investment into the kingdom. This this, this what you're getting, and, and I attest to it because I've been there, you're getting things that on a Bible college level and really beyond. You're getting things that are taking it even deeper than that because many times they're ready to get you out of a semester and you take a quick test and you get the number right and you go on. Folks, listen, we want to invest in you for eternity because we know that what you learn at this table during this teaching, whether you're listening to it live or on a recorded format at a later date, that you are going to take something out there that's going to impact someone else for eternity. We put this so, we, we, we place such a, a, a serious nature from this because it, it, it has to do with people's souls. Yeah. And so we're all about lifting up Jesus and preaching the gospel to the lost and dying. And so I really want to I want to put that out there for you. And so we're in the book of Romans, chapter uh, chapter three, verse twenty five. And and we we, we kind of uh, propelled this off of this pastor because you had one with us at the uh, beginning of the week. But he he goes he he begins in verse twenty three by saying, "For all have sinned." and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has been condemned. We all set in need of a, of a Savior. Then he goes on to say, so he gives the problem right off the bat, but then he gives the solution that we're justified freely, how? Freely, by His grace, right. and uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Then it brings us this, who God has set forth, speaking of Jesus, who has set forth to be a propitiation through faith. And so we, we've stopped right there because that word propitiation... Uh, isn't a common word. If, if I went to the streets today and I said, well, what is a propitiation? They wouldn't know if I was offering a proposition or a preposition or, uh, or anything, you know, or, or a presupposition. Because people, that's not a word that is so common in our, in our language. And so we've really been doing, uh, taking the time to show what that was. That when he talked about a propitiation, he was basically laying out the atonement. 
He was saying that he, he's become that, 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 that sacrifice, that, that lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Right. Just as he came and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He's become our, our, that propitiation for our, for, our, for our sins. He's become that, that only source that can bridge the gap between us and God. That can cover the, the fall. That can cover our sin nature. That can bring us not just to a place of salvation, but to a place, a place of victory over the sin nature not just over sin or, or saying you know what man I just I guess I'm, I'm acting a little nicer today and I'm not drinking as much those are the outward manifestations of sin but there's a sin nature inside of us that Paul the Apostle talked about those, the, the, those two warring factions right. but what he died for is not just to clean us up on the outside like a whitewashed tomb but he came brother that we might have life and we might have the abundance of life on the inside of us yeah. that we won't just be doing different things but we'll be a different people that there will be a transformation that comes into our life and it will cause us to think differently. It will cause our desires to be different. It will cause us to, 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 want to, to be motivated by the things that motivate God rather than the things that strictly just motivate us in the flesh. And so we'll, we'll live in a different way. That's what propitiation is all about. And He's become our mercy seat. We talked about what the mercy seat was in the last lesson. But this, this morning, then we talked about, and, and I want to kind of push this forward just a little bit, about the tabernacle and the entrance gate. Mm -hmm. that there's a place that we've got to enter and if, that, that there's only one way to enter. If a man tries to enter any other way, the word calls him a thief and a robber. That we've got to come through that gate and it was that entrance gate. But one of the things, and i got a question sent to me uh, on that subject and we were talking about the, the, the gates, that there was the entrance gate that led into the outer tabernacle, mm -hmm. the outer court. Then there was a, another veil that led into the, the holy place then beyond the holy place there was the holy of holies so you have this this, this large uh, tent structure that has just a wall and so you have to have a gate to get in that the gate is a tapestry it's a veil and so you go in that then there's, there's two more veils one that leads into the holy place where priests can go the one that leads into the holy place where only the high priest could go somebody sent me a question said yesterday you mentioned in the teaching on propitiation that the tabernacle was a type of cross and uh, Jesus' sacrifice for our redemption. Something that has stuck with me is that you said about the curtains or veils that separate the three entrances to the tabernacle. You said first the main entrance on the eastern side, next the entrance to the holy place, third the entrance to the holy of holies. You mentioned that there were similarities in the curtains of the main entrance of the holy of holies with the main difference being the, the absence of the cherubim or angels on the entrance veil where they were present on the veil of the holy of holies. How is this significant to our redemption and how does it demonstrate the cross? Great question. Uh, on the outer court, what well, we mentioned that, that there was no veil. I mean, there was a veil, but there was no cherubims on there. Right. The cherubims uh, represent, and you'll see those not only on the veil, but seated on each side. They were made on each side of the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. And they demonstrate the judgment of God. Because angels are the messengers of God. They're the ones that when we, uh, when we, one day when we teach the book of Revelation, you'll see that He sends those angels out to, to do His bidding. They're, they're the ones that will bring the judgment upon the earth. They'll pour out the vials. They'll pour out the bowls. They'll do those type of things. And so what He's saying is on the outside that God came out, and we brought this up yesterday, uh, God sent his, not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that right. the world through Him might be saved. And so when you, when you would approach the tabernacle or the place of propitiation, you'll notice that there's no judgment there waiting for you. That the, the, the judgment is on the other side of the cross. 
Or on the other side of the, the brazen altar, what we'll see today in today's teaching. And so what he was saying is it's a whosoever will gospel. That I'm going to let you come and there's a veil that's going to lead you into that place. And that, that outer veil without the, uh, without the angels represents the grace and the mercy of God. So you can put that down. Why does it not have those things? Because it represents the, uh, an open invitation or the grace and the mercy of God. It is that grace or that divine influence upon the heart that requires a reflection in the life. And so when you walk through that veil and you see that there's no judgment, what God's desire is for you to come on in. Now get this. Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 22. And one day we'll, we'll actually we'll offer class just strictly on the, the book of Hebrews. This New Testament book that is a powerhouse for, for faith building. And it says in verse uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 22, he says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make for those who approach perfect. In other words, it was a shadow. And so it was never going to make them perfect. It was just going to give them something every year to, to bide their time. Uh, for them would not have they, uh, those, these sacrifices have ceased to be offered. In other words, they would have kept going if it was so great. For the worshippers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. But they did. But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every single year. That's why they went back every year. Reminding, pointing them towards Christ who was coming, the Messiah, who would give his life. Isaiah prophesied that he would come, be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace would be upon him. And so every time they had to bring that sacrifice, it was a reminder. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. In verse 5 of Hebrews 10, Therefore, when he, when he speaking of Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering... Uh, you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me that's the incarnation Jesus came God in the flesh in burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin you had no pleasure then I said behold I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will O God previously saying sacrifice and offerings burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law then he said behold I have come, come to you to do your will O God and he takes away the first that he may establish the second but that which we have, but that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he said, what we do have, we're offering the body of Christ Jesus. That it's going to be that sacrifice for all times. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away our sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For, one, for by one offering he was perfected forever those who being, are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after this he said before, this is my covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. This is after the cross. I will put my law in their heart, not upon tablets, and I will put in their mind, and in their minds I will write it in them. In other words, we're moving from the law of the spirit of life, the law of sin and death, to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter eight, verses one, two, and three. Uh, he said, "Now there is there, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, and here's the point: to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, the holy of holies, by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil." That is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a pure heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water of the word. So folks, the veil, when they ask the question about the veil, the veil represents the flesh. Mm -hmm. The veil in the holy place, the reason it was torn, 
is because, number one, now think about this, brother. When Jesus said, you can see that in, in, in Matthew 27, 51, Mark 15, 38, and Luke 23, 45, where Jesus died upon the cross and the veil was rent twain. I'll say them slower. Matthew 27, 51, Mark 15, 38, and Luke 23, 45. Jesus was crucified. It says the veil was was rent twain from top to bottom. That's right. The veil where the veil in the holy place, right. because the veil on the outside entrance represented us, our flesh. The veil in the holy of holies represented His flesh. Mm-hmm. Big difference. His flesh has with it righteous judgment. When you judge, you'll judge righteously. In our flesh, brother, we don't have the ability to judge righteously. Can you, can you see that now? And so we've got to come past in order to go into the to that first entrance, the question that was asked, we've got to we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to, to die to the flesh mm-hmm. to get into that place. And so what stands between us and the cross is our willingness to die to who we are. That's why he says, Don't lay up a treasure yourself here on earth. Moth and dust corrupt, thieves break through and steal. But lay up a treasure for yourself in heaven where moth and dust don't corrupt thieves don't break through and steal because where your treasure is or what's important to you your heart's going to be also our heart speaks of our flesh our old nature and so the reason it was like that he said listen you've got to overcome just your own flesh to get into the tabernacle and so what we see in Christ Jesus he opened himself up in that inner veil to expose his glory and to make the mercy seat available to everyone on that side of the cross and so that, that fact just shows that that universal call for all to come that, that he's opening it up and that, that on the other side of our flesh that we're going to encounter the solution there's no temptation that's given to men but that which is common to all men with every temptation he provides a way of escape that way of escape is always the cross of Calvary so I hope that answers your question once again if you have any questions or something you want us to, uh, to look at a little bit more important uh, don't hesitate to, uh, to, to email me at Pastor Troy at raven at biggrace.com so, uh, let me, before I do go any further I want to read one other scripture to you that will give you an idea about that Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 I think it's be for all of us and, and two after you get done with the teaching today pick up and read Hebrews chapter 9 that he talks about uh, there's a covenant and also ordinances of the divine service and worldly sanctuary he said for there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread and after the veil and the tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holy which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold where it was the golden pot that remains manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims overshadowing the glory of the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly you know why he couldn't speak particularly? because he had never been in there at this point when that was written the, the temple still stood and so no one had ever had been in there yet they, had, they didn't have access to that only the high priest but unto the second let me back up verse 6 now when these things were thus ordained the priest went always into the first tabernacle accompanying the service of God but unto the second went the high priest alone once every year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest yet while as the first tabernacle was yet standing so the, the way of the cross was not fully revealed that's why we're talking about the shadows in, 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 in Hebrews which was a figure for those things present in times uh, previous which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that they could not make him that did the service perfect in other words he could not be perfected by those things he was doing those things in anticipation and faith of the cross as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them 
until the time of the Reformation. That's the time of Christ coming. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of the building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I'm going to jump down uh, here. Talking about him dying. Verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. We talked about that mediator, one stands between. And that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, verse 16, folks, this is what I want to say, verse 16 and 17. Talking about the flesh and what that outer uh, tabernacle went and how we get to that place of propitiation. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Okay? For a testament is a force after men are dead. When's it a force? After men are dead. After men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Now, folks, why is that so significant to our teaching? Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by what? By the word of their testimony. But we see here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, in, in conjunction with our teaching in Romans 3.25, about that propitiation. But he said that the, testi- the testimony is powerless until the testator is dead. Now, brother, I could sit here today and have you give your last will and testi- testimony. Mm-hmm. You, you would sit down and you might begin writing, I, Thomas Dwayne Derrick, being of sound mind and body, hereby bequeath certain things to blah, blah, blah. And you write those things out. Now, if you said, you know what, I bequeath these things and, and I'm giving my car to Pastor Troy. Brother, I'm not going to begin to reach into your pocket and go get in your car and drive off. You can say, whoa, 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 I'm not dead yet. Right. You're going to say this thing is not in force until I'm gone. Right. Now, folks, why is that so significant? It's because we talk about our testimony as believers. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. But as long as you're living a life as a, as a, as a living person, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about a live blood flowing through your veins. I'm talking about alive to the old nature who you used to be in Christ Jesus. Your testimony has no power. Right. There is no power in it. The, the testimony is the force only after you're dead. And so if I say I'm a Christian and I go around living like the devil, my, my testimony has no power. Are you, are you seeing that, folks? And so when we preach a, a diluted gospel that does not require the death of the individual, when, when the only thing that's preached is, come on up here and God's got a wonderful plan for you, and you know what, everything's going to be okay, and you know what, everything's going to work out, rather than saying, if you dare come to this altar of sacrifice and lay your life down for the cause of Christ, whosoever saves his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it according to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And so we, we, we know that if we're going to have a testimony that it must and it demands the death of the individual. John the Baptist, i got to decrease, i got to die that he might increase. Right. And it's the same thing with us. Back to Galatians 2.20 that, uh, that, that, that I've been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live. But it's not in my flesh that I live but it's in Christ Jesus that I live. And so folks, if you think that you can call yourself a believer, if I think that I can call myself a believer, I can call myself saved, and I think there's any power in my testimony, when I'm walking around alive to the flesh, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. I'm not indicative of the propitiation that was paid for and bought for me in Romans 3.25. I'm not legitimate. 
I'm, 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 I'm trying to be some type of reasonable facsimile, but I've lost resolution. I've lost that, 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 that resolute attitude in my heart and in my life that I'm genuinely reflective of Him. And so, I'm glad that question was asked because we've got to pass through the veil of our flesh. Right. And so, when Jesus said the veil was rent twain from top to bottom, think about where it was rent twain from, from top to bottom. to bottom. Why not from bottom to the top? Have you thought about that? No, I haven't. And why would it make a difference if He said from top to the bottom? If it made no difference, he wouldn't have said it. Now, some of you have read that from top to bottom. Now, think about where the top starts. The veil is his flesh. And so, what was the picture? The picture for propitiation begins right here. It begins at your mind. Now, think about it. My flesh, it starts physically. My physical picture is my mind. And so, let this mind be in you, which was in, also in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 12, 2 he says, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Don't be an image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so my crucifixion has got to sit here. Where is, where is sin conceived? It's conceived in the mind. And so, folks, the first place that I've got to tear away my flesh is in my thought life. That's why he was also chastised for my peace of mind. And so I've got to start with my mind. I've got to think differently which is what repentance is. Amen. And so salvation begins with repentance. That's why John came and he said, Repent, think differently, allow the veil of your mind to be torn, think differently because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you've heard me say, when you see it like he saw it, you'll do it like he did it. Yes. And so as I begin to change the way I think, then I'll begin to change the way I see things. And so if the veil gets begin to get torn physically, and you guys that are just listening to this can't can't see what I'm doing, but I'm touching my the top of my head, but as it comes through the tearing of the veil, that is our flesh, the next thing that it would tear physically would be through my eyes. And so if my eye be singular, my heart's gonna be singular. Yes. And so when I when I begin to set my affections or set my eyes upon those things above rather than beneath, what am I going to have? I'm going to, I'm going to have that victory. And so my eyes got to remain focused. I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking to the right. But I've set my face like a flint. I'm focused and I'm, I'm pressing. That's what Paul was speaking of in Philippians chapter 3. I press towards the mark, towards the prize. He said, I'm not looking back. A man that puts his hand to the plow but looks back, is not worthy. And so what I've got to allow that veil to be torn as it, as it begins to, to tear through and to, to eliminate who I am. Then what does it come to? It comes to my mouth. Right. The next tearing. Now listen, look, are you, I'm sure you're getting the visual picture of this. The veil that is his flesh. And so it tears through the mouth. And so what happens now? Out of the abundance of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. A man that's able to bridle his tongue is likened unto a perfect man. If you're able to, why? Because our tongue is called our most unruly member. And so, folks, when you hear people try to say, you know, there's life and death in the power of the tongue, now it's not talking about, oh, you know, don't, don't say I'm sick, don't say I'm that. No, it's talking about that words of life. Out of my belly is going to flow out of my mouth rivers of living water. That's one of the primary reasons that I believe that in the, in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God was poured out, mm -hmm. that they spoke in tongues. I believe that he was taking authority over that unruly member because they had changed their mind based upon what he had taught them for three and a half years, the instruction. And so the word of God had come into their mind. Then what did they see? And it says they saw and they testified of those things that they had seen. Their eyes had been changed. And as a result of changing their mind and changing the way they, speak, they, they see, What's going to happen? The words of their mouth and the testimony. So when, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, brother, and he began to preach, 
he, he preached the word that the veil had been torn from his mouth and that mouth that, that had just a few days earlier had cursed and rejected Christ 50 days earlier was now proclaiming a word. You, you men of Israel, you men that have, 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 have crucified the Christ, uh, behold, you know, I, I, here's, here's, what, here's what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he began to speak out of a torn veil of his mouth. Then what does it come down? It comes down to your heart. Then everything right proceeds out of the heart of a man. And you see the heart, then it goes down into our, into our, our belly. And so out of our belly flows the rivers of living water. That, that place of, 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 of nurturing, that place of growth, I'm getting it down inside of my belly into that place. Then it flows down into the reproductive parts of the physical body. And so you can see how that goes. And so I'm going to be beginning, if, I, if I've got the mind of Christ and the veil of the flesh has been torn apart, what happens? Now I'm going to reproduce after that. You, then you know a tree by the fruit that it bears you know it by the carpos fruit you know it by the reproductive fruit and so if really if I'm beyond the veil so to speak if I push beyond those, those limitations of the flesh and I've allowed the, the, the propitiation of God to come into my life in, in faith what happens I'm going to be a soul winner he that wins souls is wise. It's, there's, a, there's a wisdom that comes out of that and it, it, but there's a wisdom that comes into that that causes it to come out and so I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling as it tears on down. And where does it stop at? It stops down to my feet. All the way to my daily walk. And so beautiful are the feet of those that preach good news. And so folks, you can see that when I begin to tear through those things, that is the veil of the flesh. What is it? My testimony comes alive. Why? Because I'm eliminating the, the, the deadness of the flesh. So folks, your testimony will, will not never have power until the testator is dead. So on a daily basis, folks, listen, start with your mind. This is really a good way to, 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 to really just think about it. For me, I need, I need something like that. And I believe that's when, when God revealed that to, this, this to me concerning that the tearing away the veil and why. I, I need that type of thing. I need to, man, I need to get my mind stayed upon Him. I need to get my focus right because out of my focus is going to come vision. And you know, you've got to be able to take it, write it down, make it plain those that read it can run with it and then my communication is going to be changed whether you're teaching the word preaching the word prophesying the word words of knowledge words of wisdom they're going to come out of that same source then I know that my heart's going to be right that my motivation is going to be right that man I don't care what you say I know where my heart's at you may not like what I say but my heart is right my motivation is right and I'm going to stand upon the foundations of the word of God and I'm going to do those things like it or not you know they didn't like what Jesus said certainly didn't like what John said or Paul said and I'm going to say it because I know the motivation. And down in the, in the, my, the it's going to, something's going to churn in my innermost being. And out of my belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And I'm going to produce. And so when we go out into the streets and we stand somewhere and preach the gospel, we're going to see the manifestation of the Word of God in that harvest mentality of, of, of Matthew 9 and 35. We're going to see those things made manifest. And it's going to come down all the way to every aspect of my walk. That my feet are going to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so folks, get that in your heart. Get that in your spirit because that is the propitiation. That is the things that God has called us to and God desires to make manifest in our life. And so we have that, that entrance on the outside. Chew on that just for a second. I'm going to get a sip of this coffee. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyhow, so we go into that veil. We've got to break that place. And so once we come to that place of that first separation, which is our flesh, and that's, that's the thing that holds so many people up, brothers, pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so if we can overcome that pride, and as the Word tells us that He gives grace, 
to the humble, mm -hmm. but rejects the proud. Humility requires us to push through that veil. It says, listen, there's something over there that I need. That I'm not, not self-existent in myself. I need something. So we push through that veil. And as we push through that veil, what we'll discover there is that brazen altar. And that brazen altar is that first picture of the cross. And you can write down in your notes, uh, Exodus chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. And I'll read that in just a second. And so folks, when the, when the common Israelite, when the Jew approached the tabernacle with a sacrifice and he passed through that entrance gate or that veil, he found that between him and the tabernacle stood something. Okay, we go into the entrance to the main tabernacle, then there's the holy place and the holy of holies, which is a separate structure. But between that, that first place and that holy place, there was something that would impede his progress. And that's called the brazen altar. It's that altar of sacrifice. It's called the, the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, either one of those things. And so it was this, this altar that stood there, and it, 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 and it was made out of acacia wood, A-C-A-C-I-A, and it was overlaid with bronze. And it had horns on every corner. Okay? So you'd walk in and you'd see this thing that was about uh, seven and a half feet by four and a half feet, or, or five cubic, cubits by, uh, by three cubits. And so it was this pretty enormous structure. But there were certain things about it. It, it was lay, overlaid with acacia wood. And I think we brought this up. Representing the, the, the humanity of Christ. Mm -hmm. That he, he came and He was the Son of Man and the Son of God. But it was overlaid with bronze. Bronze, uh, uh, whereas, whereas gold represents deity, bronze represents judgment. And so you can look in the second chapter of the book of Revelation and it gives this picture of Jesus. And, and, and as John the Revelator was giving this picture, he saw this, this one that had fire like eyes and he stood in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. And he said his feet were like burnished bronze. Bronze stands as judgment. And so what we're seeing is that Jesus Christ at the cross, because that, that, that wooden structure was overlaid with bronze, that he took upon himself the judgment. Can you see that? Can you see how powerful that is? Jesus allowed the judgment that should have come upon us to be completely surround Him. Every facet of that wood was covered over by bronze. And so the judgment of humanity, the judgment of our sins was laid upon Him. And so when they came into that place, there was a picture of the cross right there. He hung upon that cross and took our judgment upon His life. Now, folks, isn't the word propitiation, doesn't it mean a whole lot? Doesn't uh, Romans 3.25, you know, we get, we, we get so much, all of sin comes through the glory of God, but who God has set forth as a propitiation, who has borne the, the, the iniquity and the judgment of the Almighty God upon Himself. He has allowed Himself to be, to be surrounded, to be covered over, to, to have that bronze beaten, literally beaten upon. That's how they did it. They beat the bronze literally into that, that wood so it would encase it. So He allowed the, the judgment of God to be beaten upon Himself to provide a place for the sacrifice. Now I want to read this to you. Exodus 27, 1-5. He said, you, have, you, you shall make an altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. Like I said, seven and a half feet by four and a half feet. And you shall make its horns on four corners. And its horns shall be made of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. 
Also you shall make it pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans and you shall make all the utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze and on the network you shall make four bronze rings in its corners and you shall put it under the rim of the altar and beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. So he gave this picture of what it should. And he gave the tools so when they offered sacrifices they'd have shovels to remove the ashes. They'd have basins that would catch the... Uh, that would catch the blood. They'd have forks to, to move around the sacrifice so it could be completely uh, uh, contained. They had to have fire pans that would hold the fire, the coals that were there. They had to have the rings so when they moved it, they would put the, the, the staves in the in the rings and so they could pick it up without making the contact with it and so they could do those things according to those, altar, the, those sacrifices. So, folks, this was an altar in which the sacrifices would be made. On a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis in the, the, the great day of atonement once a year. If you can put down your notes Leviticus 1.9 it's described as literally a sweet savor unto the Lord. And this is where the blood was shed and that sinner was pardoned for another year. And folks, so it was a picture of, of where Jesus hung upon the cross and where the sins of those that would receive that sacrifice by faith they would be obliterated. They would be wiped out. And so uh, no matter how good a person was that the word tells us without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness there's no remission of sins right. and so they had to come and they had to bring that now listen to this Leviticus 17:11. for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement there's that word propitiation is an atonement an atonement brings us to the mercy seat to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls and so it was that spotless perfect precious blood of Jesus that made atonement for our souls that's so important because in a lot of the false teaching they teach that the cross wasn't enough that Jesus didn't do it on the cross but what is the picture that he gave even then about 16-1700 years prior to the cross was that same picture that the atonement is in the blood Okay, it was in the pouring out of that life, and so, folks, apart from that bronze altar, that 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 altar of sacrifice, they could not approach God. They came in; they had to they had to humble themselves, come through that veil that is their flesh, in order to approach God. And so, in the covenant with God, it was a blood covenant, and therefore, that innocent and excuse me, innocent animal represented that 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 sin of that sinner that had to take place on the altar. But that, but the, the the animal always had to be a perfect animal. It couldn't be blighted. And so Jesus, as we talked about yesterday, became that lamb slain before the uh, the, the foundation of the world. And so this is why. Now think about this, guys. They had to lay their hands. The priests did when they took that sacrifice. They laid their hands upon that innocent sacrifice. And so what it did, and then they sliced its throat to kill it so it was, it was very visual and it was it, it was very uh, uh, it's a good way to put it uh, provocative even and so it was, it, but it was a picture of Jesus and what did they do they laid hands upon him they took him and they, they beat him and he was an innocent sacrifice for even in our propitiation when they laid their hands upon that innocent sacrifice it was foreshadowing or a shadowing of things that would come they would lay upon him and then they killed that thing violently and so it was that they didn't euthanize it. They didn't slowly put that thing down or give it a lethal injection. It was a violent, sudden death that, that probably it let out a shriek or, or whatever else. It was something that, that, that was very, very, very uh, 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 bloody type of sacrifice. And so the blood of the animal, though, couldn't cover the, uh, the sin of man until God Himself, the Lamb of God, came. Now, Hebrews 9, 19-28. 
And I said this, that Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to law. And he took those blood and, and goats. I'm not going to read that whole thing again. But that was a temporary type of sacrifice. And so I want to give you just those things to write down. I gave you one of them already. Talking about that, that type of that, that, that brazen altar. Because you've got to really understand that's the type of the cross. And so it was a, a casey wood overlaid with bronze. Speaking of Jesus, taking upon us his judgment. Bronze being that. It had no steps to it. Okay, why, why do you think it would be significant that there was there was no steps leading up to this thing? Get you think about it for a second. Twofold, I'll give it to you since you're sitting there going, hmm. Twofold, because folks that we couldn't elevate ourselves to Him, what did He do? He humbled Himself and and and, and took upon Himself the form of a sinner, though He, though he knew no sin. And so he brought his sacrifice all the way down to us. He, he, he brought his sacrifice down. He humbled himself. He became like a servant to us. And so when he walked up to that brazen altar, this thing that, that should have been such a grandiose thing, it was sitting flat upon the ground. There was no steps leading up to it. And so it spoke of the humility of Christ, but it also spoke of the humility that we've got to come to him when we present ourselves to him. And so it was. It was. It was. It was humility, and it, and it represented and exposed man's sinfulness. But it also exposed the love of God and the mercy of God that He would be God with us. That because we could not elevate ourselves, Christ came down and humbled Himself, took upon Himself the form of a servant. Then it had four horns. But out of that, and here's here's the here's the beauty in in, in the Word of God. It also had four horns that were a part of that same structure. It says they were a continuation. They came out of that bronze. Out of that judgment came the power of God. Horns, guys, in the Scripture, when you begin to read those things, we've ever uh, read about, uh, 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 in the Revelation, it talks about that it had this, the beast had a certain amount of horns or whatever else. Those speak of power. They speak of authority. And so, even though he took upon himself the form of a servant, out of him was the power of God. The power of God was made manifest in all those in these things. Hebrews also tells us it says that that He upholds all things by the word of His power. Notice it didn't say the power of His word. Why is that significant? That it's always the word of His power and not the power of His word. Glad you asked that question. Glad you asked. Folks, listen. You hear people say that it's the you you've got to speak the power of His word. That's it's back. That's backwards. And we talked about how people get these things. It's always the word of His power. Because it because the the word comes out of His power, the power doesn't come out of His word. And so we we've got to see it was a part of those type of things. And so what happens is people think you know what I'm going to speak this word and that word it's going to it's going to be a creative word. No, the word, that word that's spoken is not the creative thing. It's who spoke it is who's the powerful one. Right. The reason when, when God said, let there be light and there was light, was not because of what he said. It's because of who he is. Okay. Now, you got that. And so I could sit around here today as a person that knows the word and works with faith, and I could say, let there be no light. I just said it, and there's still light. Why? Because I do not command the same authority or the same creator. When, it, when you look at the Word, it says that He spoke to those things that are, were not as though they were. It's, he, it's not us saying that. It was God spoke to those things that are not as though they were. And so we can't circumvent the power of God. It comes out of the very nature of Him. Any power that we have is power on loan. It's power that He has deposited inside of us to do His will. 
Not to do our will or not to get a new car to get a new house or to have uh, you know, a Rolex watch on our, our arm. It's not to do those things or build a kingdom of man. It's to preach the word of God in authority and with power. Now, does God care if you have a, a, a good car? No, I need one myself. Does He care if you have a decent home? No, I need one myself to live in. And so it's not those type of things. But that power always comes out of who the word is. Those are not the things that create. They're, they're a continuation of who Christ Jesus is. And so what he's saying, listen, he humbled himself, but in the midst of that humility rests the power of God constantly. Then we see the fire, that type of fire. And you can read this if you look at it in, 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 the, in the book of uh, Leviticus and in Exodus and also right here in, in Hebrews chapter 9. That, that fire represented the holiness of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the, 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 the cleansing of the Word of God the empowerment of the Word of God. And so it was always there, represented with fire. It says, our God is a consuming fire. So our God is that consuming fire or that empowerment in our lives. And so, then it speaks of ashes. And ashes, here's the good, he said, I give beauty for ashes. Now ashes represent that, that sin has literally and completely been obliterated. That sin has no more power. Sin has no more authority. Sin has no more yoke upon us. That it, all it is is this ashes. Now check this out. Psalms 103, 10-12 says this. Psalms 103, 10-12. And this is talking about that obliteration of sin at, that, at that, uh, the brazen altar. He said, He has not dealt with us after our sins. Okay, so when we come, when they would come and lay that sacrifice, they didn't throw them up on the, on the altar. Who did they put? They put the lamb up there. And so he said, you didn't deal with us after our sins, nor regarded us according to our iniquities. He put the sin upon the Lamb. He said, for as, he as, as high as, the, as heaven is above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Now think about how powerful that is. Get this, guys. He says, as far as the east is from the west. Now let me ask you folks out there listening to this. Why didn't he say as far as the north is from the south? Now, at the time, let me, let me throw this out to you too. At the time, astronomers still believed that the earth was flat. Okay? Mm -hmm. But because he's the one that, that hung it in the air, he knew what shape it is. Now, if you get in your car and you were able, and there was a road all the way around the world, and you start driving east, are you ever going to run out of east? You're not, are you? You can continue to go east and east. Now, if you get in that same car and you head the other direction, you're always going west. Now, if I set you at the North Pole and I tell you to drive, as soon as you move forward a step, you're headed south. You see that? And if you're standing at the South Pole, as soon as you head upward, you're immediately going north. And so, he knew that you could run out of north and south, but you'll never run out of east and west. East and west are perpetual. They're continuous because, wow. the, the, because He made the, the earth as a globe. And what's amazing about that is if He would say that and people say, well, 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 God didn't create the heaven. Absolutely, He did. And He knew how He created them. He created them with a perpetual east and a perpetual west. You continue to go and go and go and you never run out of east and west. Folks, that's the exact same way as the mercy of God. You can never... Get outside the mercy of God. God, where sin abounds, His grace abounds even greater. He is in hot pursuit of you. He is hot, in hot pursuit of you. Until that day that you'll stand before Him in judgment as far as the east is from the west. Not the north is from the south. The works of men will always run out as soon as you take a step in any direction. 
We're, we can say that we're powerful. We can say we can do these things. We can say we've spiritually planted our flag in the North Pole. Yeah, but as soon as you take a step, you are headed south, brother. And that's what's happened with all this false, false doctrine, brother. That stuff has gone south, so to speak. And you use that, that terminology. And it's because he established us and he brought, those, that brought us beauty from ashes and he's willing to obliterate those as long as we continue to find ourselves in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of the brazen altars, continue to find ourselves there in a place of humility. And so, I said there was always something that stood. I'm going to get through one more, one more facet of this propitiation this morning before we close out uh, this, this morning's teaching. But, so you enter into that outer, that outer gate, that outer veil, which demands you to humble yourself. That is the flesh. Right. That process that we're talking about, that, that, that from the mind all the way to the feet. Then the thing that stands before you and him is the brazen altar. Now the next thing that you would encounter on this walk into the tabernacle is a bronze laver. And it was specific to priests. And I'm going to read something to you from Exodus 30, 17 through 21. Exodus 30, 17 through 21. And he said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing. And you shall put it in between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. You'll put water in it. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. And when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by the fire of the Lord. So any time they went into the, the holy place, they washed in that labor. When they came out, they washed in that labor. So it's continued washing of that. It says, uh, uh, when they go to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. And we'll say, who were they? They were priests. Right. But he said, they've got to wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. He says it again. And it shall be, uh, to, uh, be a, a statute forever to them. For how long? Forever. 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 How long forever? It's Not forever. Right. <laughs> it, it is forever. I mean, forever is forever. Yes. To him and his descendants throughout their generations. Now, specifically, it was placed between the, the, the door of the holy place or that, that secondary place and the altar. And it came after the altar, so the sacrifice was always first, then it came to that next place. Now, brother, this is, this is a pattern, literally, for ministry. Now, now, folks, we know what the Word says. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, right? And so just as they were a priesthood, we as believers that have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ have been adopted into that same priesthood. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praise of Him who has called us out of darkness into His glorious or marvelous light. Then 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, and it says, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of the priesthood. So we have that, that ministry that's given to us. And so what's important about that, folks, is before they went further even into the ministry, they had to go and they had to present themselves to this, 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 this bronze labor. And the thing about the bronze labor, and you can read that when you, when you go and look at the, the preparation of those things, they was made in order to, uh, to be reflective. And so we, do you know what water is a type of? Water is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so they would have to look through the Holy Spirit and behold themselves in that. The scripture talks about beholding ourselves in the Word, taking the Word and like looking into a looking glass. Mm -hmm. And so that was the looking glass 
that had to be filtered through the Holy Spirit. And so everything that we do as ministers of the gospel, brother, we've got to wash ourselves through the washing and the regeneration of the Word. And it's always got to come through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's why, guys, it's not through might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so if you're going to preach the gospel, it has got to be under the unction of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to teach the Word, if you're going to witness, if you're going to work in the church nursery, Whatever that ministry happens to, to be that God has is, is, is put you in at that time, you've always got to behold yourself. And when they looked at themselves, they saw the inadequacy of their own abilities. But they saw it reflected through the water. Now, why is that important? I can do all things. I can do all things. What's the next word? I can do all things. I can do all things. Through Christ Jesus which strengthened me. And so when the priest would go and he would look into that looking glass, he would see his inadequacies mm -hmm. in comparison to the great thing that was going forth at this offer of, of, of burnt offering. And so he would come and he would look inadequate, but immediately he would say, but I can do it through that water. I can do it through Christ Jesus who gives me strength, who strengthens me. Then he would wash his hands. He would wash those things. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? but those with clean hands and a pure heart. Amen. Cleanse your hands, O you sinners. Amen. Paul the Apostle, and folks, here's part of it as well. Paul the Apostle said, Listen, I am not guilty of any man's blood. Why? Because I've never failed to withhold the full counsel of God. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33 talks about, listen, that if we don't warn sinners from the wickedness of the ways, their blood will be upon our hands. And so, folks, the thing about it is, is why we have to preach the Word. Why, and and we, I get this all the time. Why can't you just leave these people teaching false doctrine? Lord? Why can't you just do that? Because I have to look in that, that labor on a daily basis, folks. I can't look into that and allow that stuff to come out and not to be reflected. I've got to cleanse my hands by not uh, withholding the full counsel of God. There's no way that I can ever enter into my prayer closet. No way I can enter into that, that holy of holies knowing that I'm, 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 I'm guilty of the blood of people because I've withheld the full counsel of God. And I want to challenge you. You folks that want to believe to say, listen, you know what, just don't say anything. You, you are, you are bloody-handed. You, you stand guilty and you stand defiled before God if you allow that garbage to continue to come into your homes, if you continue to turn on those television, if you continue to allow the adversary, because it's not Jesus stopping your mouth. I don't care how sweet you think it is not saying anything. It is repulsive to the nostrils of God for that false and erroneous teaching to be going out and you will stand in judgment upon those things. He said, you've got to wash in those things. He said it twice or you will die. It will kill you. It, if there's a speck of that junk in your life, a little leaven will leaven the, holy, the, the whole lump. You've got to go to that place. You're going in. You've got to wash and allow that stuff to regenerate you. On your coming in and going out, you've got to allow those things in every facet of the ministry to allow that washing of the Word to come upon you that you might be blood guiltless before a living God. Folks, that's why it is so important. That's why I am so adamant about exposing that stuff that's going to kill you. It has one purpose in mind. It's, it is to bring a defilement into your life and to kill. The priest couldn't do it either. In the pattern we were given, he beheld himself and he knew that he had to do everything through the Word of God. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I can recognize error. I can preach the Word instant in and out of season. Uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after lust, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. They'll be turned unto fables. What did he tell us to do? We've got to wash ourselves 
in that word. That bronze labor is that place. It's representative and it's given to us as the priesthood. So folks, anybody that considers himself a believer today, you are part of that priesthood. You are part of that thing that he has to go. Tomorrow I'm going to continue that on just on that bronze labor for probably about the first ten minutes of our, our teaching. Folks, get into the Word of God and the Word of God will get into you. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen.